Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Climate change is one of the most important issues that we face today, yet it's a topic which polarizes people. Our guest on this episode, well-known climate scientist Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, says that climate action isn't about being a certain type of person or voting a certain way. She says it is about connecting the values we already have to act for our future. Dr. Hayhoe is the chief scientist of the Nature Conservancy and the author of the new book, Saving Us, a climate scientist case for hope and healing in a divided world. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Tell us more about your background and why and when you first became interested in climate change. Well, I was interested in science from an early age because my dad was a science teacher. And so I grew up with the idea that science was the most fascinating thing that you could possibly study because who doesn't want to know how the universe works? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually going to uh, study astrophysics and my undergraduate degree is in astronomy and physics when I needed an extra class to finish my degree. And I looked around and there was this brand new class in climate science. And I thought, well, that looks interesting. Why not take it? So I had learned about climate change before in school, and I had learned about air pollution and biodiversity loss and deforestation and other environmental issues that I sort of thought, well, environmentalists care about these and environmentalists work on them, and we just wish them well, (laughs) so to speak. And I didn't really consider myself, and honestly, I still wouldn't even call myself an environmentalist. And so I thought, well, that's just not me. That's not what I do. So I took this class, and I was completely shocked. Because that's where I learned for the first time that, first of all, climate change is no longer a future issue. It's already here. And then I learned that climate change is not only an environmental issue. It is, but it's not only. It also affects our health. It affects the safety of our homes. It literally affects the air we breathe and the water we drink and the food we eat, all of our resources, national security. And most of all, it affects the poorest and most vulnerable people in the world, the very people who have done the least to cause this problem. So when I found that out, I thought, well, that's not fair. I need to do everything I can to try to help fix this problem because it's so urgent. It's so important. It's so unfair that hopefully we'll fix it soon. And I can go back to studying galaxies. And that was a really long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) One of the messages that I've taken most about climate change ever is when you said that we can compare these few degrees that we're experiencing, the world is heating up to a fever in a person and how that would impact a person's lifestyle. And it just made so much sense to me because I think most of us are thinking, okay, a couple degrees, you know, we can take what's that, but, but tell us more about that and how it's similar to a person. So one of the biggest questions that I get, and it's so common that I even made a little global weirding episode about it. I have this series on YouTube called global weirding that answers all the commonly asked questions I get. And one of them is, well, it's just a few degrees. So why does this matter? Well, think about our bodies. The average temperature of our body goes up and down by a few tenths of a degree a day. That's normal. And that's how much the average temperature of the planet has gone up and down over the course of human civilization. Now, imagine if you started to run a low-grade fever, or even worse, if your child did. And it went up and down from day to day, but it gradually ticked upward. And then it got to, you know, one degree, and then it got to a degree and a half, and then it got to consistently two degrees. You would go to the doctor. You would Mm -hmm. say there's something wrong. And you could even feel the toll that that fever was taking on your body. Well, that is exactly where we are with the planet today. 
So what does the science tell us about what is causing global warming? We scientists have known since the 1800s, and that is not a typo, 1800s, (laughs) that digging up and burning coal back then and oil and natural gas today, fossil fuels, releases heat-trapping gases that are building up in the atmosphere, wrapping an extra blanket around our planet that we do not need. And just as you would if someone snuck into your room at night and wrapped an extra blanket around you, you'd wake up sweating saying, hey, I didn't need this. Mm -hmm. In the same way, our planet is running a fever because of this extra blanket. Since scientists knew about it, why didn't they try and fix it earlier? Like, did they just not know what to do or did they just think it wasn't going to impact them in their lifetime? Well, the first calculations of exactly how warm it would get, depending on how much coal we burned, were done by a Swedish scientist whose name was Svante Arrhenius back in the 1890s. And here's an interesting little fact. His mother's name, surname was Thunberg, which makes him a distant cousin of Greta Thunberg today. Oh, interesting. Yes. So he calculated by hand how much the planet would warm if we increased carbon dioxide levels by 50% or if we doubled them, if we tripled them. And his calculations were exactly on the money in the 1890s. But he thought that it would take thousands of years for that to happen, or maybe hundreds of years. And in fact, we are already at 50% increase today. So you're right. Back then they thought it would take longer, but by 1965, Scientists were sufficiently concerned at the pace of climate change, as well as the risks it posed, not for the planet, but for us, that they formally warned a U.S. president of the dangers of climate change. And that president was Lyndon B. Johnson. We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we're excited to tell you about Lomi, the world's first smart waste appliance. If you've struggled with composting and feel it's too much work or feel bad that you're not doing your part to help the environment, you have to check out Lomi. Lomi is a countertop electric composter, and I love it because I don't have a traditional garbage disposal. With Lomi, I don't need to take a lot of trips to the garbage with food waste. I just turn food scraps into dirt with the push of a button, and in just a minute, we'll tell you about a special offer from Lomi for our Nobody Told Me listeners. I love my Lomi because just about anything I'd put in the kitchen disposer can be put into the Lomi on my countertop and turned into dirt in four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. Me too. And you know, I think it's cut down my kitchen garbage by at least a half. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, my Lomi turns my food waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. It is so cool to see. I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of garbage. I have a basically limitless supply of dirt now for my garden, and Lomi is so easy to use. While you may want to get a Lomi for yourself, you may also want to get one for someone on your holiday list. This is a great gift that will help someone year-round. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash NTM. And again, that's Lomi spelled L-O-M-I. Use promo code NTM at checkout. 
food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list. Just head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. What should we be doing that we're not doing? I mean, if we know what's causing it. Well, big picture, three things. Number one, stop putting so much carbon into the atmosphere. And that means weaning ourselves off fossil fuels, getting energy from clean sources, and being a lot less wasteful. We waste over 60% of the energy and almost 50% of the food that we produce in this country. That's number one. Number two is invest in nature. Nature loves carbon, carbon in the soil, carbon in trees, carbon in ecosystems. It's fantastic. So restoring ecosystems, planting trees is part of that too. Conserving ecosystems, coastal wetlands, mangrove forests, all of those things take up the carbon and it thins out that blanket. The third thing, unfortunately, we have to do right now is we have to prepare for the impacts we can't avoid anymore. Wildfires are already burning greater area. Hurricanes are already stronger. Heavy rainfall and flooding is worse. Extreme heat in the summer. So cut out the carbon, help nature soak it up, and prepare for what's coming. Those are the three things that we as a human society and civilization have to do. But I'm sort of going to anticipate your next question because I'm going to guess you're going to say, okay, well, I'm not a president, so what can I do? Exactly. Right. And I'm not either. (laughs) (laughs) So... Yes, it would be a lot easier if we ruled the world. (laughs) We could just wave our magic wand or scepter and say, do this. Right. (laughs) And I certainly had my days where I wish that we could do that. (laughs) But here's the thing. When we talk about climate change and we get worried about it and we say, what should I do? Often the answers we're told are this. Change your light bulbs, recycle, consider a plug-in car, change your diet. And those are all good things to do. And those are all things that I do myself, but I'm a scientist. So I sat down and I calculated, would that actually fix the problem? And if everyone in the U.S. who were who was not just alarmed, but even concerned about climate change, if they did everything they could in their personal life, that wouldn't even fix 20% of the U.S. emissions. Whoa. Not So then what? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So then I thought to myself, okay. If that isn't the answer, and again, don't get me wrong, I do those things. I do, because it's important to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. But if that's not what's going to change the world, what does? So I started to look at how the world has changed before. Because if you think about it, the world really has changed, right? I mean, 200 years ago, it was acceptable to own other human beings. 150 years ago, it was acceptable to say that women's brains were too fragile and they would overheat if they were educated or allowed to vote, (laughs) right? Well, we know that was true. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) some days it certainly feels like it. (laughs) I mean, and you know, like, you know, 70 years ago or so, it was acceptable to say people couldn't enter a certain building because of the color of their skin. So the world has changed in profound ways. And when you look back, It was not because a president or a CEO or somebody who was big and famous and rich decided it had to. It was because ordinary people, very ordinary people of no particular power or wealth, they decided the world should not be this way. The world must change. And they did one thing, and it's the one thing that we're not doing. They used their voices 
to talk about why it mattered and what we could do to fix it. And by using our voices, we connect with others. We build momentum. We start talking to people who can make decisions at our place of work or our city or church that we go to or the school we attend or the school our kid attends. We start getting together with other people and talking about what we can do together. That is how the world changed before. And that's exactly how it can change today. Except that, you know what? 86% of us in the US are not talking about climate change. And so the single simplest thing we can do is to have that conversation today. Do you think that the reason we're not having that conversation is because we're all so scared of it and our children's or grandchildren's generation, they're going to fix it or the world's just going to end. And I think that there's such a doomsday kind of vibe to all of this, but you say it's fixable. And I think that might get the conversation going and, and people feeling optimistic. Why do you say it's fixable? Well, you're exactly right. We don't want to talk about it because, first of all, we're afraid we might get in an argument with our cranky uncle or the person we know. Right, right. Uh Also, why would you want to talk about something if you think it's just scary and depressing and there's no way you could ever fix it? Right, you don't understand it. And it seems to be getting worse and worse every year. Like, you just want to avoid the topic. Totally. It's like when you don't want to go to the doctor because you feel like there's something wrong. You don't want to know what's wrong. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, so that's why I not only wrote the book, but I also am part of a great organization called Science Moms. And we are moms who are scientists and we invite all other moms to join us. And I have to say, there's a few dads and godparents and aunties and uncles who have also joined too. I'm pretty sure. Um, And What we do as science moms is on our website, on social media, we try to provide really short explainers for, hey, how is climate change affecting wildfires and why does that matter to our kids? How is climate change affecting extreme heat and why does that matter to our kids? What can you do about it? Click here to send a letter to your elected representative. Click here to share something on social media. Click here to use your voice. And we have this cute ad called, use your outside voice (laughs) to talk about (laughs) climate change. (laughs) Uh, and it, it, it's because when we talk to other moms, 86% of moms are worried, the same number that aren't talking about climate change. 86% are worried, but they feel like they don't understand it. They don't know what to say, and they don't know what we can do to fix it. Why do you say that people's opinions on climate change, instead of being divided into two camps, they're actually divided into six camps? Tell us about that. Yeah, so all too often, we just think of people as being either us or them, right? <laughs> on many different issues. Yeah. And on climate change, we often use some pretty, pretty questionable labels, which are believers and deniers. So I don't like the label denier because it often gets slapped onto people who have questions. And to be totally honest, who wouldn't have questions these days? But if you just voice a question, you immediately get labeled as a denier. I don't like the word believer either because there's no belief required. If you look at what thermometers are saying around the world, it's very clear. It is getting warmer. We scientists have been looking at this for 200 years and the science is clear. It's us. It's bad. The impacts are already here today. It's not some new green religion. It's just the evidence of our own eyes. No belief required. So instead of that, it's super useful to think of us as lying along a spectrum. And at one end of the spectrum, we have people who are alarmed or concerned about climate change. And we are about 55% of the country. 55% are alarmed or concerned but we don't talk about it and we don't do anything about it because we don't know how. Then you have people who are cautious and they often lead with their doubts. 
So they might be mistaken for somebody who's a bit more hardcore, but if we engage and we don't say that's a stupid question, we say that's a good question. Like my global weirding series on YouTube does. Hey, that's a good question. You should be asking that question. Let's talk about it. Often cautious people can be brought on board. There's a tiny fraction of people who are disengaged. They've been living under a rock the last 20 years. I would like to know where they live. It sounds like it's a nice, safe place to live, right? (laughs) Yes. And then at the very end, we have about 12% who are seriously doubtful and 7% who are dismissive. Now, the dismissive people, they're the ones who believe climate change is a hoax. And I say believe because there's a lot of belief involved in that. Right. They are the ones who talk about it all the time. They post about it on Facebook. They bring it up at your Thanksgiving dinner. You're <laughs> having a conversation about the weather. And before you know it, they're talking about how those scientists are just making it up to line their pockets. They're very loud and they get a lot of attention online. I hear from them on Facebook and Twitter every single day, but they're only 7% of the population, uh-huh. 7%. And so leaving those dismissives aside, because I truly believe it takes a miracle to have a constructive conversation with a dismissive because they just can't listen. They literally can't. But leaving them aside, 93% of us, we absolutely can have a positive conversation with if we begin with something we agree on rather than something we disagree on. And we bring in positive, constructive solutions that they can get on board with, like the fact that where I live in Texas, We already get 23% of our electricity from the sun and the wind because it's cheaper. Don't you like saving money? Mm, Yes. (laughs) Right. I think one of the big issues, and I'm saying this from personal experience and, and my mom's experienced this as well. I was born and raised in Northern California and my mom had been there for gosh, how many years? I don't a long, a long, long time. And it feels like in the last five years or so that the wildfires got to be so scary another level. Like you used to think right. of, okay, there's a wildfire little right. one here and there, but the last few years, it got so scary that we actually moved to Arizona. And I think people are having the conversation now out there about how this is a big deal and people's houses are burning down, but it seems like there's just panic. When people are talking about it. Well, and I think it also just suddenly seemed to show up why, on our doorstep. Why is yeah, that? Why, why did it suddenly in these other horrific weather events around the country just suddenly seem to be something we couldn't ignore? Well, there you go. I mean, you are literally um, somebody whose life has been very severely affected by climate change. Absolutely. You, you are a example. It was scary. Mm-hmm. It is. And so you can speak from your personal experience because it really happened to you. It affected the your home, the place where you lived. What, what is more profound than that other than our health? And our health is also being affected, obviously, because you breathe in the wildfire smoke and it can really make you sick. For days and mm-hmm. days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Weeks, mm-hmm. weeks. But it just seemed like people were like, oh, my God, what's happening? I don't know what to do. And they were just fleeing instead of trying to fix the problem. But then we moved to Arizona and it's the temperatures here are getting so much hotter than they used to be. Well, one of my fellow science moms lives in Arizona and this past summer, she has little kids. She had to wake them up before dawn so they could play outside safely before it got too hot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We understand. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So, so yes, this is what's happening and it's not linear. It's non-linear. That means that it's increasing exponentially. What, what's increasing is the length of the wildfire season. It's hot and dry for longer now than it used to be. And what's also changing is the area burned by the wildfire. Because most of the wildfires in California are the result of accidental human ignition. 
not on purpose. About 7% are arson, but most of them are, you know, someone plugs something in in their shed and it shorts out and it starts a fire, or there's a power line that sparks or some idiot, you know, dumps a load of burning trash into the dry brush. That is literally how a fire started. <laughs> and, and they didn't do it wanting to start a wildfire. It just is an accident. So this has always happened. People have always done silly, thoughtless things, and that's not new. But what's new is that, you know, imagine if you accidentally dropped a match into a pile of pretty green, wet wood, what would happen? Not much. You're right. But then along comes climate change, drying out the soil, drying out the vegetation, making it hotter. And you drop the match into a pile of bone dry kindling. What happens? Right. It's going to ignite. Ignite. Yeah. Explode. Exactly. That's what we're seeing in California. That's how climate change is making it worse. And then with extreme heat, of course, it's always been hot in Arizona, of course. Mm -hmm. But climate change is loading the weather dice against us. The chances of rolling that heat wave, that double six, are increasing. Now we have three sixes on our dice and then four sixes on our dice. And then we've got a seven and now two sevens on our dice. And we're like, this heat wave is unprecedented. Like the one where it was 118 degrees in Portland this summer. And people are like, how could this happen? Why has it become such a politically polarized issue? That is, is hard to understand since it's based in science. You're absolutely right. I mean, a wildfire does not knock on your door and ask you who you voted for in the last presidential election before it burns down your house. Correct? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've lived there, so you know that did not happen, did it? All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Back in the late 90s, when you asked Republicans and Democrats what they thought about climate change, you would get the same answer. And you should get the same answer. A thermometer is not Democrat or Republican. If it says 118 degrees, it's 118 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened in between? What happened was people realized, oh, if it's really real and it's here and it's now, that means we have to fix it. And when we start to look at who is responsible for climate change, it turns out that 90 corporations produce two-thirds of all the heat-trapping gases that have built up in the atmosphere, wrapping that blanket around our planet since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. Wow, 90? 35 companies, or sorry, no, 20 companies have produced 35% of the problem since 1965. Oh, my gosh. And those companies, fossil fuel companies, coal, oil, and gas companies, they realize because they're very smart and they have their own scientists in-house. And there's a great documentary movie called The Merchants of Doubt that actually tells you all of this. They had their own scientists in-house. So they knew back in the 60s and 70s that this was coming. And they made a very deliberate decision to invest in muddying the waters on climate change, investing in fake experts like they used, like the tobacco industry used, mm -hmm. investing in, you know, websites and op-eds and what they call astroturf groups, supporting politicians who, who, who are, are from parts of the country where they have a lot of coal and oil and gas and saying, hey, we don't want climate solutions. Why don't you just get up there and say it isn't real? Why don't you hold, hold some type of investigation into those scientists who are saying it's real? Find out why they're corrupting the data like that. And unfortunately, a number of politicians said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. So over the last 30 years, climate change has been deliberately politically polarized by those who hold the balance of power and wealth in this world. So look at the synergy between that. 
The people who have the wealth and have the power, many, not all, of course, but many of them are very invested in maintaining the status quo as long as possible. Whereas those of us who have voices, but not a lot of status, not a lot of power, we're the ones who ultimately, I truly believe, can win this simply by using our voices, because that is the way the world has changed in the past. And how much of an impact do you think that children are going to have on this? Should our focus be on trying to educate them from an early age so that they don't make these same mistakes? Well, absolutely. I mean, kids are amazing. First of all, kids just totally get this, don't they? They're like, okay, you tell me there's a problem. What can I do to fix it? Yeah. And they don't take impossible for an answer. They're just like, we can do this. Uh Yeah, yeah. So Let's have a bake uh, sale. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, so a few years ago, I noticed that the first, the number one question I was getting, whoever I was talking to, wherever I was, was what gives you hope? And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to ask people what gives them hope. So I started to ask people this and I asked hundreds of people this all over the US and Canada and, and beyond. And then I categorized their answers and Hands down, the number one thing that gives us hope are children, the next generation. Some people said my children or my grandchildren or my nieces or nephews. Some people said the children's climate strikes. Some people said, you know, the kids who are suing the U.S. government for their right to a better future. Some people just said the next generation. So I start to ask, well, why are you saying that? Is it because you think that they will fix it for us? Because they certainly want to, but I don't know if they're going to have the power to do it before it's too late. And everybody without, you know, without, without any exception said, no, it's not, we don't have hope because we want them to fix it. We have hope because we're fixing it for them. The next generation is our hope. That's how we continue. They are the future. They embody the future. We wouldn't fight if there wasn't a future. And it reminded me of this movie I saw um, a number of years ago, and it was actually a novel by P.D. James called Children of Men. Does that sound familiar at all? A world where there was a global flu pandemic and then people couldn't have children afterwards. I'm I'm not familiar with it, no. Okay. It had, um, I think Clive Owens was in it. But P.D. James was the one who wrote the original um, novel. And it's really interesting because she talks about the incredible hopelessness that people have because they can't have children anymore. And so it really shows that our children are our future and that's why we're fighting. And I mean, I'm a mom and that's why I made science moms. And that's why, you know, that's why we're doing this is because it is really about a better future for all of us, whether we're left or right, red or blue, Democrat or Republican, um, you know, live on the West coast or the East coast or the middle of the country. We all want a better future. We all want a safe place for our kids to live. We all, when it all comes down to it, we want many more of the same things than what divides us. And so if we can fix this, this issue that's the most politically polarized issue in the whole country, that's what climate change is. If we can come together on this, what else can we fix? We're glad to have you as part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And we're wondering, what's the last thing you did for your own self-care? As a treat, we had our hair and makeup professionally done recently for the wedding of my older daughter and Laura's sister, Sarah. It was a wake-up call for me because it made me realize I could use some refreshing new beauty ideas. I try to find new ideas, but sometimes the advice I get from the beauty and self-care podcast seems so unachievable and time-consuming, so I end up getting discouraged and frustrated. I'm looking for strategies to give me confidence, to make me feel good about myself and my looks, not insecure. So we were excited when we heard about the podcast, Beauty 
Uncovered. Beauty Uncovered gives you down-to-earth advice and ideas. The show has great conversations with experts in beauty, health, wellness, and lifestyle. It asks the questions we want answered. Not only do they have knowledgeable guests, but they offer advice you can apply the same day. And best of all, Beauty Uncovered is brought to you by Olaplex, one of the most trusted brands in beauty with a patented system to noticeably repair all types of hair damage. Go check out the Beauty Uncovered podcast now, wherever you get your podcasts, and get your weekly guide to uncover your beauty. That's the Beauty Uncovered podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Catherine, you know, our show is called Nobody Told Me, and we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about climate change, global warming, greenhouse gases, fighting to to get people aware of these issues that you had to learn the hard way? Nobody told me that climate change was, as the U.S. military now calls it, a threat multiplier. Nobody told me that climate change is an everything issue. Nobody told me that whoever you are and literally whatever you care about, those things are being directly affected by climate change. And really the bottom line is nobody told me that to care about climate change, you only have to be one thing. And that one thing is literally a human living on planet earth. And we are all that. Wow. Wow. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? And it's, it's easier to have that conversation than you might think. We just all need to start it. Exactly. And how can people connect with you and learn more about the book? Well, I would love for people to um, connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, The book is called Saving Us, A Climate Scientist's Case for Hope and Healing in a Divided World. And if you feel like you need some hope and you need some healing, then check it out. You can find it. Yes, you can find it anywhere books are sold. There's ebooks, there's an audible version that I read myself. You can buy it online. And I'd love for you to tell me what you think about it when you read it. Well, Catherine, we really thank you for joining us. You have made a, a topic that sometimes seems overwhelming, very approachable and understandable. And we really appreciate your efforts. I am so glad. Thank you for having me. Our thanks again to Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. Again, her book is called Saving Us, A Climate Scientist Case for Hope and healing in a divided world. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.